Okay, welcome back everyone to Defining Crypto. We are going to talk about a few things today. We have a quick uh, news bite and a, I would say commentary, and then we are going to talk about NFTs today. Real quick though, uh, before we do get started, we were able to get our podcast out there and available on Apple Podcasts, and it should be available really on any of the podcast providers. So give that a look and we'll put the links in the description below for you to check out. So news, um, quite a bit of news today. And before we get into news, just as a very quick, simple reminder, no financial advice uh, here. We do not provide financial advice. We have no financial chops, uh, so we can't provide financial advice. Um, but we are going to be talking about the crashes that uh, occurred this week. Now, there's a little bit of a rally going on as we speak, but um, a lot of that was due to some of the media coverage around some of the crackdowns that are occurring in some of the countries that like to have control over their people and their currencies, namely China, who I think this, you know, this is just another instance in a string of instances where they are coming out pretty hot and heavy against Bitcoin because it, you know, again, it seems very obvious that they can't control it and they enjoy control. And this is something that they cannot get their arms around. They've tried it uh, and now they're taking a different tactic. And so they are shutting down as many of the miners as they can uh, in their country. And so that is one piece. And then Iran was another one. Iran started cracking down uh, pretty heavily. In fact, um, I think it was one of the biggest seizures of actual Bitcoin miners uh, at one given time. And so um, quite a bit there with the actual Bitcoin mining, because that is what the majority of these, um, you know, there's Bitcoin, there's a lot of other different cryptocurrencies out there. But um, the ones that are being really cracked down on the heaviest are Bitcoin miners and the different pieces of that. So that's why you're hearing everything related to that. And that's also, it has caused quite a bit of a decrease in the price of Bitcoin. And with Bitcoin goes most of the other cryptocurrencies. Um, and so it's, we've seen quite a, quite a decrease here. Now, it's interesting to me because it, it's... Unfortunately, it seems like it's all following this negative narrative that the media is driving. And um, it's puzzling me because when I see this news, yes, your, your knee-jerk reaction might be to panic. But the reality of it is, and I feel that this really validates the value in Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies and the fact that it can't be manipulated by one country. And that is something that when you look at the way China's reacting, you can see that they see it as a threat. And they've tried, like I said, different tactics before, and now they're trying to just shut it down wherever they can find it. And so um, it's it's been an interesting few days here. And we wanted to talk a little bit about the topic and, and also share, like I said, our commentary. So that was mine. Do you have any commentary there? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think the um, the big question here is what threat do they see 
uh, to or from the cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin in particular, right? Because that seems to be the one that is being targeted the most right now, especially by China and Iran. Um, we've got so many in, in place. Um, and I think I just want to go back for our audience and, and remind them kind of why we're here and how it got started, right? Bitcoin is a result of after the 2008 financial crisis in America, um, somebody was upset with how much money we were printing and the way that the government ended up handling that situation. Um, and they made this currency um, that was an immutable data source, right? It can't be changed or manipulated. It's a ledger that cannot be changed or manipulated, unlike today's current banking apparatuses. Um, and it was something that was very visible that everybody could see. And then we could also see the source code, how the thing worked and functioned instead of these behind the back systems or these dark pools that these banks and traders currently participate in that nobody else is allowed to do, right? So somebody wanted to prove out a currency or a means of exchange where everyone participating could be treated the same way. And that's really the basic use case for Bitcoin. That's why when they tried to add programmability to Bitcoin or change it, so many people were very, very much against that, right? Because it has a very specific purpose and that was to provide a stable source of currency against things like the US dollar or the Chinese uh, Yuan, which those things are inflationary, um, you know, uh, currencies that can really be manipulated um, subjectively uh, at the whim of a few people. Mm -hmm. And so that's the purpose of it. It was a tool to provide more freedom and transparency to the basic public or the basic person that was trying to exchange in some, some means of, of value. And and just as a quick note, like you said, the their first attempt, right, to manipulate this or to uh, control it was when they tried to actually take it over, which is what you just mentioned there. And, and that's why, yeah. you know, the second attempt now is to try to go out and find all the miners that they can. But sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to mention that. No. And, and you know, there's another thing, too. So um, back when we first noticed that the printing was going crazy. So this probably five or six years ago, one of the big things that we saw was every country scrambling to buy up deflationary assets like gold that existed, okay? And China and Russia uh, were two of the biggest countries that were going around and hoarding gold, if you go back and look at their purchase history. So they obviously were hedging against their own inflationary problems with uh, the central banking systems that they use with their fiat countries. Uh, because it gives them more control, right? If they were to run into a critical financial crisis um, with that, we would have to go out of that system and go back to potentially a metal back system, gold back system. Uh, they were hedging against all those possibilities there. Uh, but what they really didn't see was the value that folks were going to find in cryptocurrency because it was a very foreign concept. So as they started to notice that, uh, just as was mentioned just now, uh, they try to take the system over with a majority attack. Uh, they actually try to hack it and failed miserably at that, right? So that was kind of the first test of can this withstand some type of tyrannical 
government overtake and Bitcoin won out that battle. It was long and, and hard, but it also exposed some weaknesses, I think, there. Um, and mm -hmm. I think right now, uh, with what happened in China is uh, the Sichuan province, they actually closed down, I think, 90 or 95 percent of their mining facilities. And this is where a large portion of the world's Bitcoin mining occurs in general. Right. So there's a few um, problems that were exposed here. One, we need other countries and other people to start mining Bitcoin more. Um, it's going to become more decentralized. That's going to happen organically. I don't know, you know, how we're going to get over some of the uh, environmental laws and things, but we know China doesn't care about environmental laws, so all their miners were just doing whatever they wanted to over there. Okay, yeah. and so China is now trying to suddenly act like they care about environmentalism, and and they're putting all kinds of things in the the news cycles to uh, put excuses for them to act the way that they're acting. The main problem is it is a threat against their yuan. It's a threat against their economy. It's a threat against them controlling a financial system and controlling their population. And, you know, if you want evidence of them controlling their population, look at how they have deployed Facebook or the Internet or any kind of communication or information to their public. I don't have to go into that. You can look at that yourself. But this is another means. This is the main source of control that these tyrannical governments have which is these financial systems. I can shut anyone down at any point in time by cutting off their money supply. Now with Bitcoin, you can't do that. And it's like kind of like an amoeba-like structure. They can kill it over here, but it's gonna go regrow uh, somewhere else and resurface. You can't really stamp this out. So as, as was mentioned, we're really starting to see the beauty of this decentralized system. Uh, but you know, Iran is no different. We want to talk about them. They control education and content, uh, whether people can read or not, et cetera, et cetera, at all levels. Uh, so they're very much uh, partners with China, if you want to call them that, um, uh -huh. in, in many things that they do. So it doesn't surprise me that both of them are coming out. And so um, for me, this is a, a huge deal. It also, for me, shows that we've still got some problems with decentralization, right? Um, if we're going to get hit that big, we're going to have that kind of volatility. Um, it's not like that, right? And, and you've got to have these mining facilities. It's a lot easier to target Bitcoin miners because they have to get this big, expensive equipment, right? When you yeah. think about things like Ethereum and Cardano, what they're doing, they're going to be able to run off simple nodes. They're going to be able to run off your cell phone in the middle of a third world country with yeah. very poor cell service. You're never going to be able to stop that. It doesn't matter what government is. They're gonna to have to get rid of all electronic devices in order to stop something like this, uh, which is a physical impossibility in my opinion at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if, if anything for me, I get a little bit more excited because as an investor, I'm invested heavily in Cardano and Ethereum. I think it's proven out a little bit of their use case a little bit more, but I'm also excited that, you know, the main use case Bitcoin that was built for this scenario is winning the long war. Okay. It might've taken a little bit of hit, but we found support, what, $30,000. It never, it really barely dropped below $30,000. Okay. And it's found support again, and now it's popping back up. So uh, it could drop down in the 20, 20,000s or, or whatnot, but that's still a massive level of support 
showing that there are a lot of people that are completely unfazed by this and are in for the long haul. And again, we got to remember, this is not an old thing. It's now been around for a, over a decade uh, or getting close to a decade. So, um, you know, we, we've got to remember that this is proving out to be a very resilient system against some, um, you know, governments and entities with huge, massive um, amounts of resources and abilities to hack the uh, most secure systems in the world. So I, I think this is going to be good news in the long run. And I think it's doing nothing but testing and, and making the system more resilient. Yeah. Yes. All positive. Like I said, um, unfortunately, the opposite of positive has been occurring as it relates to the value of this. But it, again, I, you know, look also, we don't have to explain this to you, but look at the, the years that Bitcoin has been available and look at the price changes and fluctuations, this is part of a normal cycle. And so um, again, take a look at that because it does, it does paint a good picture. Um, and I'm waiting for that uptick. I'm waiting for that green to keep coming. Um, but that's, uh, that is what we have for the news and commentary. Um, moving into the topic that we have. So NFTs, non-fungible tokens. That is the topic that we are going to talk about and try to, to define here today. And the reason for it is it is becoming popular, starting to see you have companies that are investing in this. Um, one of them that we'll talk about here in a minute is Topps Baseball Cards. If uh, you grew up in uh, the 80s, 90s, you are probably familiar with baseball cards and Topps is a, uh, a big name in that space. Um, but it's so a non fungible token is basically something that is unique and specific and defined on the ledger in a blockchain. And that is something that you're able to then have a verification that it is your unique item. There can be copies of that item, but those copies will not have that unique ledger entry to signify that it is the original. And so one way to think about it is a piece of artwork. Um, someone will create a piece of artwork and then that piece of artwork is sold for a million dollars and then someone takes that piece of artwork and makes what they call prints. And then those prints are just copies of that artwork that are sold at stores for people to buy at a much, much cheaper rate. And um, so that is the high level, I think, definition and also way to paint the picture for what an NFT is. So yeah. I, I want to go a, a little bit into more detail just for some of our audience, right? Because um, many people aren't savvy with, you know, kind of investment terms or or asset or investment because it's just a lacking part, I think, in, in most people's education or thinking process today, right? We've been so far removed from this. So when we talk about non-fungible token, we need to talk first about what is a fungible asset versus a non-fungible asset, right? 
Fungible means that it is something that is rather liquid and can be interchanged for value rather easily, right? So if I take a dollar and I exchange it for uh, pennies or I exchange it for another currency like, um, you know, pesos, et cetera, those are kind of interchangeable, fungible assets or, or something that I can buy, right? But when we say non-fungible assets, we're talking about things like real estate or as was mentioned, paintings or baseball cards, right? These things, I can't just, you know, turn a baseball card into money really, right? Without going through some sort of process to verify it make sure it's a real baseball card, make sure it's genuine. And then somebody is willing to exchange some money for it, et cetera, or a house, right? I can't just, it's like a, an asset. I can't just liquidate very easily. Um, with these, you're basically taking these assets that are non-fungible and you're creating a, a tokenized representation, okay? So they're using this concept of a cryptocurrency and you're allowing you to take, for instance, your home and turn that into a an asset, a fungible token that other people can now purchase portions of it um, if you want to. And you can actually program smart contracts onto that uh, currency as well. So, you know, for instance, if we use that um, card, let's say, for instance, um, I, I want to give away a baseball card. And along with that baseball card, I'm also going to give you free season tickets to uh, see your favorite football team in your local area, right? I can also add that as part of the contract of giving that baseball card value to you, et cetera. So uh, there's all kinds of ways that you could program things into these fungible assets. Um, some of these folks, when they do something, let's say an artist, I uh, create a, a, a drawing and I put it on there. A lot of people buy uh, portions or buy ownership of that drawing. I can put into that non-fungible tokens smart contract that when you sell that contract later, you have to give me 30% of whatever you sold that for, right? So if you buy my painting for, let's say $1,000, the value increases over time to $10,000. When you go to sell that and I ask for 30% of it, it's built in that contract. You won't even notice it. It'll do all the math on its own. Send me the 30 or the three grand that I'm owed since it's now a $10,000 asset and then you'll get the 7,000 that's left over. So. Um, there's a ton of different use cases. Basically, anything uh, that you can think of, you could tokenize, essentially, or get representation online as a token, and you can dice it up and sell it or do some sort of business inter interchange with somebody um, at the click of a button. And your, your program and the code that is in these tokens will actually serve as a notary or a verification service to prove that this is a real asset and that you have real ownership of this asset as well. So hopefully that that makes a little bit of a sense or, or clears a little bit up or is a different way to say it. Yes, yeah, and that's, I was actually, that's where I was gonna ask you to go was to give it, you know, go a level deeper on it and even talk about it being on the, the Ethereum blockchain, right? and talking a little bit about that too, because I think, you know, get great way to talk about fungible, non-fungible, and then how those things can be used and how they can be then related to an actual dollar value. And then it also allows you to, you know, trade 
a piece of artwork for parachutes or you know whatever it is that you want to do um as long as you know you're able to tie it that way so um the the next step there is talking about how they how the nfts work so uh if i want uh to know a little bit more about that then you want you need to know how you know again how do they work and how do you go about making one or even buying one or uh storing one um so high level for and obviously we just said nfts are on the ethereum blockchain so ethereum is a cryptocurrency just like bitcoin and some of the others that are out there so ethereum though has built in the compatibility for these nfts you you can't do the nfts on bitcoin and there's a reason for that and so do you want to talk a little bit about that piece of it and talk about the Ethereum piece, and I, th I think that is a good thing. I, I can dive a little bit in there and talk about it. So NFTs are, think about it as a an entry into the ledger. So we know that there's a ledger on a blockchain and that ledger is what the definition of a ledger. It stores all of the information that is functional about the transactions that are occurring in that blockchain and what this nft is is it's an entry in that ledger but it doesn't point to a an ethereum coin what it does point to is that authentic non-fungible item that you have tied it to and you have put it into the ledger for the association. It will also then come with some sort of value that is assigned to it based off of that ledger entry and how you input it. So that is the best way that I can think of to describe it. Um, like I said, it's, I think that it's pretty basic in that it is a, it's not a physical item. It is an entry into uh, data and data element that assigns you, the owner of that non-fungible item, it assigns you that ownership and it also gives it the value on the blockchain. Yeah, and I think you can store all kinds of info, right? Like uh, whether it's been authenticated by an actual source. So let's say you've got a piece of artwork, you can store, that so-and-so art expert actually reviewed this and verified it, right? You got his verified signature or um, it's got autograph elements and things that you can sell to it. So if you wanted to put an autograph on there, um, you've got an official autograph or a signature and then things to validate that it's actually the, the pure source. But you know what we're essentially saying is you have the ability to turn that into your own kind of coin so to speak it's not pointing back back to another existing cryptocurrency it's you're essentially creating a cryptocurrency of your asset you're turning it into its own currency and making it very exchangeable at the click of a button and very easily exchanged right so 
you know, the normal exchange for that would be, I'd have to go talk to this guy. I say, Oh, I don't know if this is real. Let me call my guy. And then I'll talk to you in a week. And then, you know, we'll sort all this out. And then you haggle back and forth and negotiation. Well, this sets all that stuff up and, and puts those parameters there so that you're really just looking at it. Oh, this has been verified and you click it with a button, right? Yes. I do, I, I do think, you know, Here's the thing with NFTs for me. I think the baseball card thing and I think the collectibles thing um, for me is more of a fad, in my opinion. Um, I think it's nice that we have a, a way to do these collectibles, but I don't see that for me being as more, more, more valuable than me actually having the actual baseball cards in real life, right? For me. But I see huge value in being able to exchange real estate, or like you said, exchange a pair of shoes for a piece of artwork or something of that nature, right? Uh, that would be much more easy if I could do that, right? Because you can't do that in real life at all right now. It's very hard to understand whether or not you're getting, um, you know, you're getting your money's worth in the exchange or whether or not you're, you're undervaluing something or somebody's trying to mess with you or, do something underhanded. And uh, so it's it's really making things a lot easier to exchange very quickly. And you don't have to go through as many sources. You wouldn't have to go through, you know, for example, I keep going back to real estate, but you wouldn't have to go through realtors, banks, things of that nature in some of these cases, depending on what the deal is. Um, yeah. and, and then for you think about like music artists or artists in general, they can make money off of their works and they can make continual money off of their works. Like I said, you can put stipulations in the contracts where you can buy my artwork. If I'm very valuable, okay, you're going to make money off of my artwork because the print is going to definitely raise in value over time. But then when you go sell that, I'm still getting a cut years later. So I'm getting a cut off of all of the, the interactions from my artwork, not just the initial sale. So it actually extends the life cycle of their product um, and they get more value out of it in that sense or can. That's one potential case. The other ones that I'm seeing a lot and what I think is going to really take off in terms of NFTs are the video game applications, right? And, you know, we've talked about this before. Video games have become very complex and some of these things that are built for games don't really need to be rebuilt in most cases, right? There, there are things that have been built that take months, like um, the main character that you see on the screen or something, and you don't want to rebuild all of the different AI components that make that thing act on its own or, or react to certain things in the video game, or you don't want to rebuild all of the design elements that come with it, right? Some of those things take weeks, months to do. And instead, I can just package these up as an NFT and I can sell them. But instead of only selling them in, in one environment, I can sell them now across a multitude of different games and environments potentially. And um, I can, you know, make money off of those in perpetuity, right? It's not just an asset that's going to um, only be that. And I can officially own that. I don't have to give it to some platform. And then some platform takes 70% of my fees, et cetera, et cetera, uh, from this. So, it's giving artists and individual contributors in this space a heck of a lot more relevance and a lot more ways to make money and be creative and go out on their own and not have to 
be subjected to some larger company or something in order for them to make an income or make an impact in, in how they choose to create or do work. And I think it's going to transform some of those industries um, a lot. Um, and um, it, it could definitely transform, in my opinion, you know, construction and, um, you know, the way that big construction companies even do business with one another and real estate, et cetera. I think it has the biggest chances to hit those industries in a real way. Um, once we get past this kind of phase of, you know, collectors um, taking on it, that's usually, I guess, one of the most obvious ones that people are taking advantage of. But I think this is going to be short lived. And I really think the biggest use cases are are coming in the real world, again, around things that we're most used to, like real estate or, um, you know, any of the household items that we have, flea markets, you bet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and I agree. I mean, I'm the, the baseball card one, I think, is one that I can at least resonate with. And it's easy for me to, you know, tie the NFT um, kind of concept to that realm because I spent many of uh, many a days waiting for the baseball cards to come back that I sent out based off of the addresses that they would put in the back of the Beckett monthly <laughs> baseball card price book and would send those off. And I actually have a few that were sent back to me and autographed. You had to send a self-addressed stamped envelope and they'd send it back to you. But I have that autographed copy. Now, I don't have a certificate of authenticity. I, you know, it could be a, a fake, right? It's just my word. Now with an NFT, it's always going to be able to be verified, validated, and always have that value. And so that's, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. I think the big watch out for people right now in NFTs is, is, um, there's a lot of things that can go to zero right now. So really watch what you're getting into because some of these things are set up in, in odd ways like stock market, right? So you're just going to go buy a GIF and then hope that the GIF goes up in value over time. There's no guarantee that uh, any of this can happen, right? And, and you're talking about, we're going from, I don't know how many assets we had to uh, invest in beforehand, right? To now we've got almost an an immeasurable amount of assets now with cryptocurrencies and all of the different projects that are coming out. And then now we've got an ability to basically tokenize anything, uh, gifts, tweets, you name it. And uh, you can invest in those too. So just really watch out because those are highly, highly speculative. Yeah. And um, like I said, people can put smart contracts on there. So you can really get messed mm -hmm. over because they'll take, you know, 90% of your income when you go to resell the thing uh, later down the road. So just really watch what you're getting into. We're very early into the NFT stage, uh, but it's definitely something that's going to be huge down the road. Yeah. And actually that's the other thing. Yeah. So let's, I, I just one topic on that because I think it is, it's kind of interesting. We talked or we mentioned, I think in a previous episode, um, the Charlie bit my finger, right? So now, with that one, there is value in that because you could have that published to YouTube and every time that's viewed, you are compensated. So there is value. And how smart would it be to say you own the NFT portion of this video, but you do not own 
the digital rights to reproduce or to you know post this in any way to generate any revenue and then that stays with the content creator that would be an interesting especially if you pay millions of dollars and don't find it out until after the fact you know i mean but that's where like you said it's highly speculative in a lot of these cases and in others you need to understand that you you know it's it's a lot like buying land right so if you buy land somewhere that there is oil or other assets there's something called mineral rights and so you can sell your actual property your 10 acres you sold it to bob for a million dollars but you can retain the mineral rights to that property and then you can still retain the access to those minerals that are there presumably and be able to generate revenue off of it yep absolutely and that's a great example there too of, of applying it you know when I think about like the video um, use case, and I can see it, right? So you've you've got this way essentially that there is a a identifier that's on this NFT, and let's say we put it out on the internet, and so it can digitally tie itself in. Anytime that that thing is produced or or viewed on YouTube, you get paid, or viewed on certain sites, you get paid. What we still can't prevent, though, with video is me just recording my screen and then just going and putting your video somewhere else. Right. Uh, I don't I don't I still don't see a way that it protects against that. Right. So that's where I say I feel like that use case is still not completely there. There's there's no way to really protect that asset if somebody really wanted it um, without just going and suing you know, we've got copyright laws and of course mm -hmm. people protect it today. Mm -hmm. um, but this certainly would increase the accuracy in which understanding how many people view it. And, you know, again, when we get away from sites like YouTube and things, and we go to sites that are more on the blockchain, again, YouTube's not going to be taking 30 or 40%. They're not going to be controlling, you know, how many ads and stuff that you get on this video, et cetera. You're going to go to a blockchain platform eventually in the future that's going to replace YouTube. There's one called Odyssey right now. And um, you don't have to go through a middleman. And so you're going to make much money, more money. You're going to have a more accurate description of, of what's going on. And it's going to fire off on its own based on the, the contract that you built into that NFT. Yes. Yeah. I don't disagree. I mean, the other way, I mean, I don't disagree, but I will provide a dissenting maybe thought is <laughs> that YouTube could update their copyright structure, infrastructure to indicate through NFT, through a ledger, right? to confirm who the owner is to be able to compensate, you know, and make sure that the right person, cause you're right. I mean, and th that's the thing. I mean, what you said is correct today. The technology is not there across, you know, the industry to be able to support using NFTs to compensate someone based off of the originality of it. And that's the piece that really, and you're right. They're, they're coming up with other platforms. Like you mentioned Odyssey now, you know, what if you're only paid with odyssey tokens you know that's going to depend on how many people are using that and so yeah there's quite a bit like you said also at the very beginning very speculative be careful and there's a lot there that you really want to understand before you go investing in nfts yep yep 
but it's still very interesting. It's going to change the world in my opinion. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of ideas that are sparked from this concept. It's, it's a groundbreaking way of representing value. And, you know, it, it can essentially take us back to those old school bartering days almost, you know what I mean? Where uh, yes. people were just, you know, haggling back and forth with different goods that you had, which I think would be healthy, right? Cause people have unimaginable amounts of income that they put into all of these things. Like think how many toys you buy for your kids. And it's like, well, I just, I'm just going to go give them away, I guess on the market or whatever. I mean, it's, I mean, you probably want to do that anyways, just being a good person. And there's a lot of kids that need toys, but are, you know, clothes or just all the things that you buy that, you know, it's basically just like throwing money down the toilet. Well, now you can maybe potentially easily exchange those for something else in a, a pretty well-defined manner rather than, you know, at your garage sale, right? Now you have much more access on online and uh, you don't have to use these systems like PayPal and, and everything else that uh, are a pain in the butt to to get, and you have to yeah. put your ID and information in fifty different ways, and then they have to have an account as well, and then you exchange that money over there, and uh, you have to go to your bank and, and wait two days for it to get in your account. So it's crazy stuff like that that's getting cut out. So it's ultimately going to be more efficient and 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 good. So I'm pretty excited about the whole concept, and um, you know I can't wait for. Uh, some other opportunities to, to come out of this. Well, yeah, I mean, not to continue to bang on the drum there, but I mean, I know that I'm excited for NFTs now to grow and grow up a little bit. Right. But then also with Cardano coming and the efficiencies and the other benefits that it brings, um, I'm very excited to see how NFTs are handled on the Cardano blockchain and, and how they're managed and how it can iterate because, you know, that's what we continue to see is, you know, Bitcoin 1.0, Ethereum 2.0, Cardano 3.0, and each one is getting better and better. And with Cardano, um, it's going to be a really interesting timing for number one, for it to launch, but then also for this NFT craze to be kicking off and having another landing spot. Yeah. I think people, you know, you still got to take into account Ethereum has not launched their update, right. To make them much more efficient and faster yet. And Cardano still, I mean, I love them. I'm excited about them. We're supposed to be there in uh, less than 90 days, according to old, old Charles Hoskinson, the, the, the de facto leader, uh, if it can ever get there, let's, let's hope so. But, um, you know, when those things come out, these NFTs should blow up because the main hindrance right now is the performance of the blockchain. Uh, you know, gaming especially, you can't run some of these games on these blockchains. But I'm telling you, whenever you can, gamers are going to flock to blockchains to produce their games. There are so many independent gamers and there's so many independent programmers and developers nowadays uh, mm -hmm. that they're tired of working for these large companies, these corporate companies. They're tired of working on boring stuff. They're tired of going at a snail's pace on everything. Um, and especially like uh, just content providers in general are hungry to get away from these corporatized, you know, uh, 
creative killers, in my opinion. You know, and it's funny because I, I grew up, you know, watching cable. I'm a huge movie buff, a huge TV buff, right? Yeah. I can't watch. I don't watch a ton of uh, content anymore coming off of these these channels because they're overproduced. And I constantly find myself watching independent content on YouTube, independent filmmaking. I flock to it. If I can find somebody that said like Warner Brothers are like, oh, we let this director just have his way. I'll yeah. go watch that movie. But I'm not just watching, you know, I've, I've saw two Avengers movies. And then I saw the rest and I'm like, this is the same stuff over and over and over again. You know, and, and a lot of people are feeling this in every industry, whether it's sports, you know, we've had 15 or 20 versions of Madden now and, uh, you know, PGA golf and, and whatnot. It's, you know, oh, we get a smidge better. It looks a little bit. Oh, look, I can really see Tiger Woods face now. Oh, mm -hmm. it, it looks a lot more like him this year than it did last year. Game cool. didn't really change a lot. You know, nobody cares about this anymore. They're just trying to rake in money more so. And these content creators are wanting to create stuff and they're wanting to um, do a lot more than what they're doing today. So I think it's going to explode as soon as they get uh, this performance problem figured out and in a number of ways that we can't even think of right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, well... That was all that we had for today. So uh, thank you for listening in. Again, check the uh, description for link to the podcast and look in Apple Podcasts for Defining Crypto. And we will see you all in a week or so, or maybe sooner. You never know. Thank you. <laughs>